Consecration is the decision to dedicate oneself entirely to God's service and will. It signifies a deliberate act of setting oneself apart for devotion to God and His sacred purpose. There are many examples all throughout Scripture where people have made this holy sacrifice unto the Lord. There are times and seasons where we are called to set apart ourselves for the work of the Lord. These are holy moments of intimacy and relationship with our Father. These are holy moments of sacrifice. This is a season where together we are committing to seek the Lord with all that we are. In this season, we desire to be consecrated. So as we start this new year, we're starting a new series. It's called, you may have guessed it, Consecrated. And I feel like uh, this word consecrated is one of those words that I, I, I feel like I always knew. I always knew what it meant. You know, it's like you just go through life and, oh yeah, I know what that word, that word means. But if anyone were to really ask you, what does that mean? You'd be like, uh, that's what, that's what I was doing. Until um, a couple weeks ago when we started really diving into this concept of consecrated. And... Um, I think it's a really cool word. <laughs> can, I, can I show you a little bit of what, about what it means? So consecrated means to make or declare something sacred, to dedicate formally to a religious or divine purpose, to set apart to the service of God. Does that remind you of any other words? You know what, let me stop here. Because I'm a young adults pastor, and every Thursday night, uh, we have a raucous time. We have a good time, and you know what they do? They preach back at me. And so I'm going to ask you guys to engage a little bit this morning because I'm telling you what, I'm going to preach better if you uh, engage a little bit with me. Cool? Cool? All right, all right, all right. So uh, to set apart to the service of God, to dedicate, to devote, consecrate this, to make holy. To make holy. Interestingly, consecrate is basically the verb form of the word holy. And in English, these words are light years apart, right? Like holy and consecrate, are, they, just, they look like they have no relation to one another. But in the Hebrew, check this out. Hebrew, uh, the, the word holy is kodesh. And it's an adjective. So I'm a former, uh, 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 I've been, I'm a former a lot of things. I almost said former youth pastor, but uh, that is true. But I'm also a former teacher. And so I'm going to go with, I'm, gonna, I'm just going for the grammar stuff, okay? So just stick with me here. Holy is an adjective which describes things. Holy is, an, is a word that describes other things, right? So what is this? And you may call it the Holy Bible, right? So it's, it's, it's a word that describes the Bible. Okay. Um, consecrate in the original Hebrew. May I, I, let me remind you, holy is kodesh. Consecrate is kadash. How cool is that? <laughs> come on. I mean, come on. So... Kadash, which we translate into consecrate, is a verb, 
So it's like holy, and then you turn it into a verb, and it's consecrate, okay? Are you following me? Okay. We often view the definition of holy as being perfect. And yes, there is an element of that, especially when it's applied to something like God, right? He is perfect, of course, yes. However, holy has a little bit different of a a nuance. Really, at its core, holy means set apart, okay? Holy means different. Holy means not normal, not common, okay? Say yes. Yes. (laughs) The first thing that God consecrated was a time period. Did you know this? So in Genesis chapter 2, the first thing he did was he created in six days, and then on the seventh day he rested, and he called it the? Go with me, church. The Sabbath, right? The seventh day was called the Sabbath, and that is what he called holy. It was set apart. It was different. The seventh day is, is not normal. It's not like the other six days, right? So, as a church family, as a community, we, together, in unity, we are choosing to separate the first fruits of 2024. We're choosing to consecrate the first fruits of 2024, to make them holy, to set them apart. We are setting apart a time period that is different from the norm. We are doing something different by devoting and dedicating these 24 days to pursue God. By the way, we're like four days in. It's not too late to join us in fasting. (laughs) You still got like 20 days left. That's plenty of time to join us in fasting. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm also crazy excited for Seek Week. Seek Week is this really special time. Uh, It's the week of the sound. So it's this time that we set apart, again, to really give God our time. We'll gather Monday through Thursday for prayer at 7 a.m. and noon at the Coeur d'Alene campus. The only exception that week is that there will be no noon prayer on Monday. So 7 a.m., Monday through Thursday, and noon Tuesday through Thursday. Is there anybody else that's at least interested in joining us for, for something like that? Okay, rock on, rock on. It is an incredibly special time. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much that your presence is here. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to every heart, just as you are so good at doing. You know exactly where each one of us is at. So I pray that this morning, would you just speak to us whatever it is that we're seeking you for, myself included. Speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So before we jump into some different scriptures, I'd like to give you a little bit of context. Uh, We're going to read in Mark. Actually, we're going to jump around a couple different places, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 1. So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus has just been baptized by our good friend John the Baptist. Uh, The Holy Spirit descends on him, and there's this audible voice of God coming out of the heavens that says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. How cool would that have been to be there for that? So in Mark chapter 1, in verse 12 and 13, it says, The Spirit, after that, immediately drove him out into the wilderness. 
How did you guys know that I was going to ask you to say that? (laughs) Would you say wilderness for me? And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. Ooh, crazy. Translation, he's alone. Nobody else around. No humans. And the angels were ministering to him. In Matthew chapter 4 is the next scripture we're going to go to. It says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, (laughs) he was hungry. Yep, I would be too. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there, what did he do? What did he do, church? He prayed. In Luke chapter 4, verse 42, it says, When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. And then in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As we start this new series, uh, we really wanted to start by talking about prayer and fasting. And as I prayed and studied about what to share, I really wanted to examine the life of Jesus and, and see, like, how really did Jesus fast and pray? How did he do it? What I kept get, get, getting drawn back to was this concept of the wilderness or desolate place, which I'm going to go, I'm going to give you some more Greek here, is the word eremas. Now, for years, I said that word wrong. I called it eremos. But as I was studying, I discovered it's eremas, which is even cooler. An eremas is a solitary, lonely, desolate, uninhabited place. A desert, a wilderness, deserted places, lonely regions. And a lot of times I feel like we can have this negative concept of like, well, no, I don't want to be in a lonely place. (laughs) Like that feels like it might be negative. But can I tell you, it's neither negative nor positive. It's just being alone. It's just being alone with God. So Jesus enters into the Eremas, but he doesn't just go for a little camping getaway. He goes for a specific purpose. When Jesus goes to the wilderness, what does he do? He fasts and he prays. The Eremas is not just alone time. It's time to be alone with the Lord. The point of Eremas is to grow in relationship with God. That's it. Jesus had mastered the art of Eremas. Did Jesus say, hey, I got a lot to do. I just don't have time for that. Did Jesus say, it's just another thing on my list. You're just piling on, pastor. No. Did Jesus master Eremas by fitting it into his busy schedule here and there? Say no. Did Jesus master Eremas by adding it to his to-do list? No. 
Time with the Father was his top priority. He refused to do anything without that first. Everything he did, his to-do list, his speaking engagements, his travel schedule, it all flowed from this time with the Father first. Everything revolved around the Eremas. Can I tell you, I feel like a lot of times we, we go through life and we just feel like people are pulling things out of us, like our energy is just being sapped, like I'm just pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, whether that's our family, whether that's serving, whether it's work, whatever it may be, we're just pouring out, pouring out. Can I tell you, Jesus did not pour out his cup. What they got from Jesus May I remind you, they were seeking after him. Great crowds were going after him constantly. What they desired from him was his overflow. It was not an emptying of the cup, friends. For him, the Eremas was vital because it's what filled his cup so that everybody got the overflow. You may say, I just don't have time to pray. What we ought to be saying is, I don't have time not to pray. (laughs) Jesus rearranged his schedule so that the Eremas was at the center, top priority. Everything orbited around it. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, Jesus, he was just perfect. Man, he just prayed all the time, every waking hour. He just had nothing else to do, right? May I remind you, Jesus was a very busy guy. I've got news for you. He had a full plate. He had three years to train up these young knuckleheads to then go out and change the world, take his teaching and change the world. I think they did a pretty good job, by the way. There were some bumps and bruises along the way, but I think they did okay. They have, I mean, the world has changed, right? Right. So... He, he had a full plate. He, it wasn't like he was not busy, okay? Uh, in some of the verses that I mentioned earlier, I conveniently left out some key pieces of information, namely that Jesus' attention was constantly in demand, especially after word spread that he was just, you know, healing people left and right, no big deal. So let's go back to Luke chapter 5. And we read verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let's read the verse right before that, 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds, great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But what did he do? He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, this is a new one. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place, that's the Eremas, again, by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. He couldn't get away from them. Followed him everywhere. And then in Mark chapter 6, verses 31 and 32, 
And he said to them, Jesus to the disciples said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They didn't even have time to eat. No lunch break for Jesus and the disciples. Like, you might want to report that to some Bureau of Government thing because they're not getting lunch breaks, right? Look, I, I feel like um, so often we as humans, um, m- many of us crave attention. We crave to be famous. We want our voice to be heard, right? Like, that's what we think when, man, God has big plans for you. And you're like, all right, I'm going to be in a an evangelist, I'm going to preach to thousands. Or, but that's not necessarily what that means. God has big plans for you, right? That's how we interpret it. However, when the crowds followed Jesus, what did he do? He withdrew. He withdrew. I think it's really interesting that um, if you actually look in the, the book of Luke, you can actually track this. The busier Jesus got, the more time he spent in the Eremas. The more time. So, when life gets busy for you, what are you doing? I think oftentimes when life gets busy, that's the first thing to go, is our time with the Lord. Man, I'm so tired. I just got to sleep in a little bit. Anybody else said that, or is it just me? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So often when life gets busy for us, the first thing to go is our alone time with God, when the reality is we need more time with him, definitely not less. I've heard it said that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. Can I tell you? If the enemy can get you distracted from your purpose, from your calling, from even time with the Lord, he's, he's done his job. You can do all the things, go through all the motions, but if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, if we get distracted from that, the enemy has done his job. Now, my encouragement this morning is not to view prayer and fasting as just another thing on your already busy schedule. I get it. My encouragement is to shift your mindset so that everything else flows from the place of alone time with the Father. Everything in my life flows from time with God, my relationship with Him. Spending time with the Lord is not an add-on to your schedule. It's not another thing to do. It's a necessity to make life livable. If you think you don't have time to spend in the Eremas, you better check yourself. If Jesus needed time in the Eremas, how much more do I? How much more? As we go into this season of the sound and hearing prophetically from the Lord through other people, which is an incredible, amazing thing, and we absolutely believe in in prophecy. However, did you know 
that the Holy Spirit wants to speak directly to you. Did you know? He doesn't, he, he wants to use other people and he wants to speak to you directly. I, I got to tell you, there is something crazy when you get in your, uh, your, your lonely place, your desolate place, your wilderness with him and he speaks to you. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm just saying. But sometimes I think that we maybe asking the question, how do I know? How do I know that it's the voice of the Lord? What if it's this thing or that thing? What if it's my flesh? What if it's the world? What if it's, how do I recognize the voice of God? Can I tell you how to do that? Let me tell you a story first. Do you remember when the phone used to be on the wall? And there was this curly thing that went all the way down to the floor and came all the way back up. It was called a uh, cord. Weird. I know. I know. But the phone was on the wall. And when I was a kid, um, when the phone would ring, it was a little different than today because nowadays I look at my phone and I see a number I don't recognize and I think, if it's important enough, they'll leave me a voicemail. Why is that even, yeah. Well, what did you do as a kid? You ran to the phone. It was exciting. Man, it was like I had two younger brothers, and we would sprint to the phone. And what did you say? I got it! Right? I got, like, it was, and of course, I always got there first because I'm the oldest brother, right? It's, it's, but then I'd pick up the phone, and Every once in a while, it was my dad on the other line. And he'd say, hey, Mark. And I'd say, hey, Dad. Now, my parents split up when I was two. And I lived with my mom from my childhood. But when he, I picked up the phone and heard his voice, I knew whose voice that was. Did he have to tell me, hey, it's Dad? No. Why did I know his voice? Because I spent time with him. Because I spent time with him. How do we get to know the voice of the Father? We spend time with him. This is best done in the Eremas, alone time with him. Now, I got married when I was 19 years old and then divorced when I was 25. And I can tell you two lessons that I learned from that failed marriage. One was that one was that good communication is key for any healthy marriage. And two was that you have to continue to choose each other every single day. You have to choose each other and you have to get good at communicating. What does choosing each other every day practically look like? Choosing to communicate well doesn't come naturally for most of us. Now, I am so blessed to be remarried to the woman of my dreams. <laughs> we have been married since 2018, and 
she and I have counseled a number of marriages in our time. And I feel like the ones that, that, the ones that are struggling so often, almost pretty much every time, is because their communication is not good. Now, my bride, Israel, loves to talk. <laughs> Words are her love language. I am not as much of a talker, but I know that after six years of being in relationship with her, I know that we need at almost the end of almost every day to talk. Like, it's just, it's what's important because that's, that's we choose. We choose to talk because that's what leads to good relationship. We choose to spend intentional time communicating, debriefing about our days, talking about things that we've been thinking about, what God's been working on in our heart. Listen, the bride of Christ, his church has got to get better at communicating with him. We have to. If you want your relationship with God to get better, you've got to choose to communicate well with him. Okay, what does good communication look like? I'm going to give you some practicals here. Number one, start. Just start. Like, just talk. Anywhere. Just start, right? You get better at communication when you practice. You get better at prayer, which, by the way, is just communicating with the Father. You get better at that when you practice, when you do it. Number two. Be honest. Be honest. I think that what holds back many of us is that we think God is um, sitting up at his teacher's chair grading essays when we pray. Mm, no, didn't say that right. Mm, no, no, that wasn't, mm, oh, I, no, that didn't make sense. <laughs> we try to make our prayers sound beautiful and elaborate. And let me tell you, Sometimes you can hear other people pray and be like, man, I'll never pray like that. I've been there, done it. But we can't let that stop our prayers because, listen, he's not grading essays. He's talking to his kids, right? It's so much more than that. I feel like um, so often we, we, we stop ourselves because of our own insecurities, right? And then we don't pray at all. Or it's so easy for us, especially for those of us that have grown up in the church, to get real good at playing religion. Maybe you know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, even when there's different people around. You know how to shift things, and you know what masks to put on when you're around certain people in certain atmospheres. Maybe you've even convinced yourself that these things are true, but deep down, you know better. Because the thing is, we have to be honest with God. There is a man that modeled for us honesty with God. And he was called a man after God's own heart. Man, if you ever open up the Psalms and read what David wrote, he was brutally honest. I feel like if somebody walked through those doors and started praying the, the, the prayers that David prayed... He might get kicked out. <laughs> That's blasphemy. But David was honest. 
There was a young man that I was counseling a few months ago that was just straight up frustrated. Nothing in life had gone his way. He, uh, he was just, nothing was, was going as expected. He was about ready to give up on God. He had grown up in the church, followed all the paths, done all the things, leading worship. I mean, all the things. And yet, he was just about ready to give up on God. Now, I counseled him that when we were done, I want you to go to your car and just be honest. Lay it all out. Tell God the deepest, darkest things in your heart. And I was a little nervous when I told him that because he was right on the edge. And I was like, this could go one of two ways. (laughs) But can I tell you, he came back to me the next week, and he had major breakthrough after he did that. Major breakthrough. Why? Because when he was honest with God, God was able to speak into those areas of his life that he had been hiding, that he had been dishonest with, that he had been prideful about. All those masks that he had been putting on, playing religion, playing church. When he was finally honest with his frustrations with God, God was able to speak directly to those things. He had major breakthrough. I was like, praise God. So I was a little nervous. Okay, third thing, third practical when it comes to good communication with God. Listen. Prayer is not a monologue, or at least it shouldn't be. It should be a dialogue, right? And I think that so often we get, um, maybe we are really good at prayer, but we never allow him to speak back to us, you know? Uh, Good communication is not just talking well, it's listening well. Now the ladies in the room said, amen. I try to start my day before my kids get up while it's still quiet in the house. I tend to start by just sitting on the couch with my hands open in a position of surrender. And I say two things. Here I am, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. And then I just listen. I try to quiet my mind, which is very tough. Sometimes, most of the time. But I try to just listen for the voice of God. Now, can I tell you, you're not always going to hear the audible voice of God, right? Like, and if we go into those situations expecting for me to get something out of it, then that's the wrong motivation, right? We honestly, uh, most of the time, I don't hear anything revelatory or anything life-changing. However, when I spend time with God, just spend time with him. Just get alone with him. That sustains me through my day. It sustains me. You don't remember the breakfast that you had on July 18th, 2018. You don't. Unless it's like your birthday. That's like your birthday or something. But, right? But you remember like Thanksgiving or Christmas. You remember those really like, oh man, that was, oh, I remember a steak at the Blue Bayou restaurant in Disneyland. Oh, that was a good steak. I remember that one. That was good eating. But I don't remember all the meals that I have every day since then. 
does that mean I don't eat? No. It's those meals that get me through. And so sometimes when we get along with God, we come away with this amazing revelation. And sometimes it's just alone time with the Lord. Let that be enough. Let that be enough. Okay. That quiet time in the morning, by the way, that's my little personal mini eramas. That's my wilderness. That's my desolate place. That's my lonely place. Not lonely in a bad way. It's actually quite beautiful. Okay, another thing, consistency. Consistency. Make it a habit. Like I said, Israel and I talk almost every night on the couch after the kids have gone to bed. I've come to expect that each night we're going to debrief about our days. We don't do it every single day, but most days. <laughs> I've heard Pastor Ray Dean say that her alone time with God is on her daily walks. She knows that God is going to meet her there because she's consistent with it. So be consistent. And use your resources. This is the last one. Use your resources. What does that mean, Marty? Use your... Well, sometimes my wife and I don't always have uh, something to talk about, <laughs> and that's okay. So we got this little box that has these, like, conversation starters. You ever tried that? Like, it's really helpful, and it can be a little bit uncomfortable at first because some of the cards have just these stupid questions, and you're like, what even is this? But you ask it anyway, and somehow it ends up leading to this wonderful conversation that had nothing to do with the card. <laughs> but if we didn't have the card, then we wouldn't have had this wonderful conversation, right? Use your resources. Look. Sometimes we just need to open up the little prayer booklet that we've got available, 24 days of prayer and fasting. There are amazing, there's so much good content in this, you guys. There's absolutely, here you go, boom. Sometimes we just need to use our resources. We need to Google, get out our phone and Google prayer starters because I just don't know where to start, right? You have, so, you have so many uh, uh, resources available to you. Sometimes we need to open the Bible and flip to the Psalms and just read those aloud. Like, that'll get you started. Use your resources. When it comes to prayer, may I remind you, God is not grading essays. He's talking to his children. Um, when I was... Uh, probably 17, 18 years old, um, we would go to these youth camps. And they were these amazing times set apart for the Lord where we would go up to the mountain, meet with God. It was just an amazing time. But I learned something that I want to share with you. Um, it wasn't during a worship time. It wasn't during a message it wasn't during any of those things that you would expect me to have learned something. <laughs> it was during a time where my, my youth pastor, Carrie, and I were walking from our cabin to breakfast. And you know what he did? He said, good morning, Lord. And I was just walking next to him, and I was like, you, you can just talk to God that way? <laughs> you can just, it's that simple? And that has stuck with me for years, that it's, it is that simple. All you have to do is start talking to him. Sometimes we're more comfortable with the praying part, but we forget that little other part that we've been talking about, the fasting part. So we must remember that the eremas, 
for Jesus did include fasting sometimes. When people fast, they often find that they're more aware of the voice of God. For me, when I fast, I am intentionally seeking him more, and it seems like I'm listening more. No wonder I hear him more, right? I like to kind of think of it this way. Um, we are made up of three parts. Say yes. yes. Body, soul, and spirit, right? And most of the time, our body is like, when it comes to our, what we're aware of, our body's up here, our soul's right here, and then spirit's kind of down here, right? Why is that? Because our body and our soul, they're much easier to understand, right? Soul, you know, our mind, will, and emotion, that's a little bit murky, but... Our body is, is it's tangible. It's easy to understand, right? So our body and soul, when we fast, we take our body and our soul and we reverse the order. So now the spirit is on top. Why? Because we're subjecting our body to say, you know what, body, get in line. I tell you what to do, <laughs> not the other way around. So get in line. That's, what, that's another thing that David said in the Psalms. Oh, my soul, worship the Lord. Oh, my soul, even when I don't want to, I'm going to worship the Lord. And it's the same concept when it comes to fasting. Is may, we may not want to. It's uncomfortable. However, when we do that, somehow the spirit has more access. The flesh, sorry, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, so sometimes we have to tell the flesh what to do. Now, if you aren't praying when you fast, you're not fasting, you're just dieting. The whole point is to increase your communication with your Father. Now, I heard a long time ago, every time you have a hunger pang, pray. It works really well. Because when you're fasting, you're hungry all the time. So if you do that, now you're praying all the time. Boom! I think uh, that fasting from other things other than food are wonderful. But let me just like put this little plug here. Every biblical example of fasting is from food. So it's wonderful to be, you know... Uh, uh, taking time away from certain things like social media or movies, TV, whatever it may be. Uh, but I often pair that with a food fast. Now, if I had that prayer booklet up with me still, I would wave it at you and say, there are, there are uh, so many wonderful examples of fasting, biblical fasting right in here. There's so much amazing content why uh, the fast took place, what they were, and there's different ones. They're all over the place. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So I really want to encourage you to grab one of these and look through these. Look through these. Cool beans? It's important to remember when we're fasting that it's not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. It ought to cost you something. Now, here's my closing thought. Many of us come to church on the weekends, I think, hoping to get this hit of spirituality and God's presence to hopefully sustain us for the week ahead of secular living, right? We do that with a lot of things. 
separate God from, the, from our secular lives. We do that with a lot of things. But what if we started to invite God into our secular lives? Prayer and fasting is the perfect way to do that. What if we stopped viewing prayer and fasting as these super spiritual practices that some, you know, pastors up in an upper room, that they, oh, they do that. But what if we started viewing it as super normal for every believer because it is super necessary for every believer? These are the very avenues by which relationship with the Father is deepened. It's time that we invited God into every moment of our day. Now, you can easily go through this fast at the beginning of the year, and then when it's over, go back and, you know, you just go back to whatever you did before. So easy to not be changed. This time could just be a temporary flash in the pan. Or you could allow it to change your life. You could allow God to work on some of those areas that you've kept from him. You could allow him to change you into the man or woman that he created you to be. We must choose not just to consecrate or set apart these few weeks for the Lord. We must choose to consecrate our very selves. Remember, God wants every part of you to be set apart. Setting aside time is great, and we should, but what he really wants is you. Have you decided to set yourself apart? Have you decided to give your whole life to the Lord and hold back nothing from him? Have you decided to give him your everything yet?